Want to grow your connection with God, learn how to share your faith, and support others? St. Joseph's College of Maine has just the micro-credential for you, becoming an effective catechist. Enrollments are open now. For more information, call 508-925-4762. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Il y a 35 ans. Cardinal Jean-Pierre Ricard confessed to assaulting a 14-year-old girl 35 years ago. Up first, a prominent French cardinal who is a member of the Vatican's doctrine office publicly admitted to abusing a 14-year-old girl 35 years ago. We'll explain what we know about the case and what questions remain for a French church already rocked by a wave of abuse revelations. Over 200 religious leaders from around the world have wrapped up the first ever Bahrain Forum for Dialogue, whose subtitle was East and West for Human Coexistence. The Pope also traveled to Bahrain for an interreligious meeting this weekend, calling for an end to the death penalty in a kingdom where, since 2011, death sentences have increased by more than 600%. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from blue skies and sunny Rome, Colleen. Your wife tweeted a video of one of the city's squares and it looked beautiful. It's, it's an extraordinarily beautiful time of year. Normally October is good, but we're well into November now. And the weather is so beautiful. I also want to mention that Pope Francis traveled to Bahrain this past weekend. We are going to talk about that, but there was a more recent news story that we felt like deserved the priority this week. So we can jump right into that. At a meeting of the French Bishops Conference, a letter from Cardinal Jean-Pierre Ricard was read aloud in which the Cardinal admitted that he had, quote, conducted himself in a reprehensible fashion with a 14-year-old girl. And he added, quote, my behavior necessarily caused in this person grave and lasting consequences. And this seemed to shock the bishops. It definitely shocked the French church. And part of the reason that it was so shocking was because of who this cardinal is, Cardinal Ricard, and the positions that he's held. So maybe just to start us off, could you give us some background on Cardinal Ricard? Cardinal Ricard was one of the leading French churchmen up to yesterday. He had been Bishop of Montpellier for the 12 years from 2007 to 2019. He was Archbishop of Bordeaux. Twice he was elected president of the French Bishops' Conference. Twice. Up to yesterday, he was a member of the the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, formerly called the Holy Office. And this is important because that's the body that investigates abuse cases. Of course, he was a member of the board of the congregation, so he would only see the, the final result or the bigger questions that touched on bishops, perhaps. Okay, I see. So it wasn't like he was investigating cases himself. He wouldn't have been investing cases unless he was asked to do so in France. But he would have been well aware of the extent and the nature of the abuse crisis in the Catholic Church in these years. Mm -hmm. So he was really one of the stalwarts of the French Catholic Church in this last quarter of a century. Mm -hmm. 
Benedict XVI made him cardinal in the year 2006. He participated in the conclave of 2013 that elected Pope Francis. Still today, as we speak, Cardinal Ricard is 78 and is, for the next two years, a member of the College of Cardinals. This revelation that he made in this letter concerned an abuse case from 35 years ago. So that means that all of these appointments, these big you know, cities that he became bishop of, this appointment to the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, he accepted all of these positions knowing that this was in his past. How did this never come up in the deliberations around his appointments? Was it simply that, that nobody knew? Well, this is the big question I think everybody is asking. Here is a man who effectively admits that he abused the girl when she was 14, when he was a parish priest. So he, he was in our parish. Uh, we don't know the identity of the victim. He said he has spoken with her. He has asked her pardon. But he's also uh, stated publicly that what he did to her has had grave consequences for her life. Mm-hmm. He went on to accept to be a bishop, archbishop, vice president of the conference, cardinal, to accept appointments in the Vatican. It is a real mystery, Colleen. And these are the questions that arise, in, especially in the cases of bishops. But, I mean, we had it previously in the case of former Cardinal McCarrick. Mm-hmm. And now we recognize, Colleen, he was one of 11 bishops. The, the French Bishops' Conference has about, I think, 120 bishops. They have 101 dioceses in the country. So you're talking about roughly 10% of the Episcopal Conference at one stage or another have been involved in abuse, eight of them accused of abuse, and three of them for not taking action on cases that were brought to their attention. I mean, if you talk about earthquakes, this is a high-level earthquake in the church in France, but also it's it really is a bombshell here in the Vatican where people didn't know about it, and it really is disturbing the whole Catholic community. I, I think this is a long answer to your question, why did he keep it to himself? And why come forward now? Our listeners have struggled to understand the case of the former Cardinal McCarrick. I think the French church is now engaged in the same reflection. I think sense of shame and shock. The question is, if you have 10% of your bishops who in one way or other were involved with the abuse case, uh, the credibility of the hierarchy itself comes into question in France. And I have seen this in some of the reports already. And then the question is, what, if anything, did Rome know? And we do not have the answer to that. Yeah, there's also a lot of uncertainty right now around what's going to happen with him. So prosecutors in Marseille have already announced that they're going to start investigating this. There's a lot of speculation about whether Cardinal Ricard will be laicized, much like McCarrick was. There's speculation in the press, but we haven't heard from the Vatican. We just don't know. And then the the Cardinal himself has gone off on a retreat to pray. So... He's not really reachable right now, but he has made himself available to the justice system, he says. So there will be more revelations about what what is going to happen to him in probably the coming weeks. Yes, we don't even know if the if the Pope was alerted before. Yeah, we also don't know how much the Vatican knows. Although you were mentioning that he was a, a member of the DDF up until yesterday. Has he officially been removed from that? No, 
Okay. I think we are expecting something. And if Francis follows the way he reacted with McCarrick, uh, then I, I think we could see, unbelievably, another cardinal being removed from the College of Cardinals. But that's speculation. We still have to wait and see what Francis does. But I, I, I cannot see him being in the next conclave. It's also possible that we'll hear something from the Vatican before this podcast comes out. So if there are any updates, we'll be sure to include those in the show notes if it's before Thursday and obviously at americamagazine.org and on our Twitter. So you can follow updates there. I want to get to a bigger question here because you were talking about some of the similarities between what we in the U.S. church went through in 2018 and what the French church is going through now in the wake of the Sauvé report, which was that independent commission's report that said there could have been up to 330,000 victims of abuse, although that wasn't a confirmed number. It was an estimate on their part. And also with this case of Bishop Santier, who retired citing health reasons, but then it turns out that he was actually removed for using his influence over two young adult men for sexual purposes. And there were some really disgusting stories out of that. The French church is reeling right now, and all of the cases that it's reeling over deal with a lack of transparency on the part of the bishops, like this Cardinal Ricard, who didn't say anything for 35 years about what he had done, on the part of the Vatican, who let Santier retire without disclosing the real reason, and on the part of anyone who covered up abuse in France from 1950 onward. And I remember when you and I covered the Vatican's abuse summit in 2019, there was all this talk about transparency and new transparency measures they wanted to implement. And I, I wanted to ask you now, you know, why is this still such a problem? Why, why are the transparency measures not jumping into effect here yet? It's a very big question. Let's just go back one step. France has a population of 68 million people, more or less. Almost half of them are Catholic. So this is a big shock to the system. The report, the independent report that they had published, was meant to address this question of transparency. That independent report showed that there were more than 3,000 abusers in the church, around 220,000 by clergy, and perhaps another 100,000 by lay people working in the church, not clergy. Right. That's how we get that 330,000 number. So th that was already an attempt at transparency. But what has really blown their mind in these past three weeks, before Cardinal Ricard's case came up, was the case of the Bishop Santier. Mm -hmm. The Vatican tends, still today, even in cases of abuse, to say the Pope has accepted the resignation of Bishop X or Bishop Y. Mm -hmm. Very rarely, unless it's very publicly known, do they say because he has gone through investigation, a tribunal in the Vatican and has been found guilty, or that he's, been, he's admitted guilt. They do not say the reason. When you ask people in the Vatican, they say, well, this is to protect the individual so far as is possible. I understand wanting to protect, you know, a, a person who is innocent until proven guilty, but once he's been found guilty of something, the Vatican should say that. I mean, it, it seems like they're trying to avoid scandalizing people by not publishing it, but 
it's the not publishing that scandalizes people. There's this tendency still of cover-up or a partial cover-up of not wishing to uh, put everything into the public domain. And it is a big, big problem still unresolved. There's a public commitment to transparency, but when it comes down to individual cases, this commitment doesn't always stand up. And I, I, I think this is the reality. I think you're totally right. And I think that that is probably just where we have to leave this story for this week. We will keep our listeners updated as the story develops. We're going to take a quick break right now, but after we come back, we'll talk about the Pope's trip to Bahrain and what he was able to accomplish with the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar in terms of inter-religious dialogue and also intra-religious dialogue. Stay with us. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. St. Joseph's College of Maine recently launched a six-week fully online micro-credential called the Inclusive Classroom, a certificate in teaching children with disabilities for Catholic educators. This credential is designed for teachers and teaching assistants that would like to enhance their knowledge in special education best practices and techniques to ensure inclusion and success for all learners. For more information, call 508-925-4762. Enroll today. Pope Francis traveled to Bahrain over the weekend, where he attended an interreligious gathering called the Bahrain Forum for Dialogue East and West for Human Coexistence. He also went to encourage the kingdom's small Catholic minority and to have his usual meetings with civil authorities, church workers, and even a meeting with children. It was also another occasion for the Pope to meet with his friend, the Sunni Grand Imam of Al-Azhar, Ahmad Al-Tayeb, with whom he wrote a 2019 landmark document on human fraternity. The Pope and the Grand Imam were able to meet again privately and also attended a number of events publicly. Uh, what were they able to accomplish this time? Well, this is their ninth meeting face-to-face. Mm-hmm. That's already without precedent in the history of the papacy, I think. Yeah. The Pope meeting the Grand Imam, the most influential figure in the Sunni Muslim world, who represent 85% of all the Muslims in the world. Mm -hmm. He and Francis, as you said, he wrote this document in together, the the two of them with their secretaries, and nobody in the Vatican knew it, nobody outside knew it. They wrote this document on human fraternity for peace and living together. Mm -hmm. That's the title. The two of them are convinced that religions have really a major contribution to make to human welfare, to harmony in the world, to building peace, helping coexistence. And so at this meeting in Bahrain, they both came out very strongly, emphasizing that religions have a positive role to play. They do not support the use of violence. They both came out, along with the king of Bahrain, who invited both of them, to call for peace in Ukraine. 
And the Grand Imam came out with a very important and hitherto unprecedented request. He said, my task as influential figure in the Muslim world is to try to bring the different Muslim groups together. Muslims are basically divided in two main groups. The Sunnis, 85%. The Shias, just under 15%. And he said, we must try and come together, overcome the divisions. Because that's what he and the Pope are trying to do, is overcome the divisions in society. Yeah, it's similar to the work that Pope Francis has been trying to do with Ecumenical Patriarch Bartholomew, who was also at the meeting, to work for Christian unity. Yes, and the Grand Imam invited him, I'm told. Mm -hmm. He got the king to invite him. See, they're all working together on this stuff. They're all working together to overcome the divisions in society because they say, we're living in a world that's increasingly polarized. Let's try and undo this. Re roll back this polarization, get people to understand that they are children of the one God, brothers and sisters of each other. Yes. They've been pushing this message, and it's finding resonance also with heads of state. Remember, in December 2020, the United Nations General Assembly approved that on the anniversary of the signing of that document in Abu Dhabi in 2009, there would be worldwide every year on the 4th of February the day for human fraternity. Now, Francis did have a bit of a hard message for the king of Bahrain as well, which is that he called for an end to the death penalty in his address to civil authorities and to the king. And we know that Bahrain, at least according to NGOs that research this, has increasingly used the death penalty since the Arab Spring protests in 2011. And it's understood that the Pope may well have said to the king, you know, privately, but publicly he called for, in Bahrain, but also wider afield, for the respect of human rights, for the protection of life, also for those who are committed for crimes and are in prison. So, in other words, the abolition of the death penalty, which is Francis's convinced position now. But also against the use of torture, right? Which has been used in Bahrain. Yes, Bahrain has been accused of using torture. It's bold here that he says this to the king. He is saying, you know, if we're working to overcome divisions, if we are trying to build a fraternal society where we see each other as children of God, brothers and sisters to each other, then we have to overcome the things that cause harm and division. And he said, for example, in Bahrain, you have religious freedom. You have the freedom of worship. But he says religious freedom is more than the freedom to worship. I mean, the monarchy in Bahrain gave the first church in the Arabian Peninsula. They had it built in 1939. And this present king has just built the second church at their expense. The Pope sees the goodness in the king, and he wants to take him a step further. That's exactly the model of dialogue that Francis lays out in Evangelii Gaudium. He talks about how you need to find the common ground with someone and build on that, build on the goodness that, that you're able to see and what viewpoint they're representing and then try to bring them along that route. Yeah, yes, you, you, build, you build on the common points and then you try and address where the differences are. To go back to the Grand Imam and the Pope's friendship, the Pope's told a story on his papal press conference aboard the papal plane heading back to Rome about how the human fraternity document with the Grand Imam came together. I know you had had a little of this story before from your interview with Judge Abdel Salam, who is kind of the Grand Imam's right-hand man. Could you tell us that story of how this was born? 
Well, the Pope told the story of how the idea of the document for human fraternity emerged during a meal that he had with the Grand Imam. They had an official meeting, a formal meeting in the Apostolic Palace. And then afterwards, the Pope said to the Imam, you know, where are you going for lunch? And the Imam hadn't a clue. He hadn't nothing planned. The Pope said, why don't you join us for, for lunch? So he and the group with him joined the Pope and his secretary. And during the lunch, the idea, as the Pope told on the plane, the idea emerged of writing this document, which was top secret. Nobody knew about it in the Vatican. I've talked to many people. The, only the Pope and his secretary and the Grand Imam and the judge knew about this document until it was finished. And then what was very significant, the Pope said it was something that came from God, the idea of this. I, I think this is very important because I think this is how they both see it that this was some way inspired by God, this very leading Muslim figure and the Pope, something that has not happened in history, should work together for unity, for peace, for overcoming divisions between religions, between peoples, and for promoting human fraternity, the concept that whatever nationality, race, color, or creed we have, we're all children of God and we're brothers and sisters of each other. And that is the path to peace. Also from this airplane press conference, there were a few more standout quotes that we don't have time to go into on this week's show, but I will link to those in the show notes. In one, the Pope called on journalists, and it was interpreted then as all people, to be pacifists, given that we are in what Pope Francis sees as the third world war of this past century. And then the Pope also spoke about the importance of women's equality. He spoke about voting rights for women. He spoke against female genital mutilation. And he spoke about women working in the Vatican. He said, every time a woman comes in to do a job in the Vatican, things get better. So you can read more about that and read the full transcript of the Pope's press conference at the links in the show notes. Jerry, thanks so much for taking some time to talk with me this week. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Colleen. It's been a very interesting discussion, especially this last part. The first was rather sad. Yeah. The second one is, is really an inspiring moment in the history of the dialogue between religions. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn and Ricardo Da Silva. Audio editing by Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Cristobal Spielman at America Media and Robert Balliser at the Jesuit Curia in Rome. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. To keep up with the latest Vatican coverage from America Magazine, follow us on Twitter at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. And you can find all of our coverage at americamagazine.org. While you're there, please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Magazine. It's easy to do, and it's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Delby. We'll see you next time. <laughs>